part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, starting in verse 1. As we've gone through this foundation series, we've been trying to, I told you before, it's kind of a a difficult one because I don't know quite where to aim with the sermon. Uh, I don't want to get so deep that some people would say, I didn't understand the word that you said. At the same time, do you want to go so elementary that everybody falls asleep? And, uh, you know, so so we try to hit different things that I just think are important. Uh, This is probably one of the most important doctrines that we have, and there is no way in the next 35 to 40 minutes that I could explain how essential this is. But I would want you to know that uh, as we talk about different things that the Bible teaches, what this actually came up today in, in our young family's um, life group. There are things in, in the Word that, that, that we think, we say that they're open hand doctrines. And there's other things that we say are closed-hand doctrines. The closed-hand doctrines are those things that we're going, okay, this is essential. You don't have this, and you don't have the Christian faith. You may have some kind of faith, but it's not the Christian. It's not historic Christianity. When we open our hand and we say, okay, these things are a little bit more of an open-hand thing, these are things that are still debated. Uh, Modes of taking the Lord's Supper, modes of baptism, other things like that. Is it okay for a Christian to have a glass of wine? Those are all different things that people have opinions about. They're def- definitely going to have you know, things that they're going to support that with. And yet I would consider those to be open hand things. And we're not going to break fellowship. That is, I can call you brother, even if we believe two different things on that matter. And so this morning we're going to deal with one of those things that is not an open handed thing. This is a closed hand thing. This is something that is the essence of Christianity, is the foundation. Uh, I always brought our Jenga game. I know on our young couples class, we played Jenga a couple weeks ago, and I have this big one. I always brought it this morning, but then I thought, you know, I don't need any more distractions before me this morning. Uh, and, but if we built this, if you've ever played Jenga, you know, you have this structure. And when you go to start removing the different blocks, most people are going to start somewhere near the top. Nobody tries to get the foundational ones off the bottom because instantly all that structure is going to collapse if you try to remove the very bottom ones. All the weight is resting upon those bottom pieces. Well, this is one of those foundational doctrines that in one way you say, well, of course I believe that. But it is so essential because this is the very point at which most false doctrines would try to approach uh, some kind of an opposing view. Not just in our day, but as we will find out, even in the days of the New Testament. We see that Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Okay, Timothy, beware because they're going to come in there and attack this very point. And what is that point? Some people would use the word incarnation of Christ. Others are going to talk about the, the hypostatic union of Christ. And if you know what both of those things are, good. We'll talk afterwards. I like those kind of things. If you don't know what that is, here's what it means. That we believe that the Bible teaches and that it is a reality. It is truth 
that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. How many of you believe that? Okay. And I would assume that everybody, for the most part here, how many of you would be able to explain that to a skeptic? If somebody didn't believe that, and they said, you know, uh, because already in the New Testament, before the finishing, uh, you know, the, the writing was, the ink was not even dry on the, on the manuscripts there. They were already starting to argue, well, you know, we think that he was only deity. We think that he was only God. That he looked like a man. He took on a form of man, but he really wasn't human. Others said, no, he was human, but he wasn't deity. And yet the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, and this is an essential foundation. I would say again that it is probably the essential foundation if we're going to believe the gospel. And so this is one of those things that is closed hand, that you and I can still be friends, you and I can still sit down for dinner, but you and I could not call ourselves brothers and sisters if you don't have this view. It's that essential. That's not trying to be mean-spirited. It's not trying to be arrogant. It's just, this is what brings us together as a family of God, is this essential truth of who Christ was. See, from Genesis to Revelation, everything is about Christ. Everything. You might say, well, you know, he doesn't really show up to the New Testament. No, he shows up and he shows up big then, but we see him in Genesis, we see him in Exodus, we see him in every book of the Bible. Everything is pointing toward Christ. And then we see this life of Christ, and then we're left with this expectation of the return of Christ. The entire Bible is about God's redeeming hope in this man, this God-man, Jesus Christ. Listen to how John said it. This is a familiar verse to us. We've covered it in many different forms and fashion as I've preached because it's, it's just one of those relevant texts. And so you've heard this before if you've been here. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word. The Word is capitalized. It is meaning there Christ. It is a, a word that John is using for Christ. Logos. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God all things that were made through him, and without him there was not anything made that was made. Now, if this is talking about Christ, and this is who we believe that it's talking about, what part of deity or humanity do we see John making a point of here? Look at verse 1. Deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? So this, John starts off saying, okay, we believe that Jesus was God. Now look down at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What nature here? The deity or the human nature? The human so John, in the very beginning of his gospel, is sitting out there and he says, okay, look, I want you to understand from the beginning that this is a core belief. This is who we believe this Jesus that we're going to talk about in this gospel. This is who he was. He was fully God, and yet he was fully man. Now, where I went to school, that's a hard concept. Just like the Trinity. 
I know we've been talking, we've been kind of joking with the elders about which one is going to preach about the Trinity because it's such a hard concept. How can three be one and one be three? It's really difficult. So we voted as an eldership. And Mark, we're going to let you do that one, okay? So just get ready for the Trinity when really whenever you're ready, okay? <laughs> Next week. <laughs> I mean, it's just hard. It's one of those mind-blowing things that you're going, okay, my mind, this doesn't make sense in my mind. And yet we just said that we believe it by faith. Well, somewhere we want our faith to connect with, you know, not that God has to show us everything, but we want something to be substantiated to help our faith. And so we're going to look this morning and go into God's word and we're going to see that uh, even the Apostle Paul called this a mystery. Because a lot of us believe it, but if it came down to a lunch conversation with somebody who was skeptical, and when I mean skeptical, I'm not saying that they were trying to disprove Christianity. Let's just say that they really just were wondering about Christianity. Could we go to the Word of God? Could we say why this is an essential element of the Christian faith? And some people could. And some people say, well, I think I could get like most of it. And then some would say, you know, I believe it, but Bobby, I don't know that I could really explain it. You're in good company. You're in very good company. Look at what the Apostle Paul, in writing to his understudy, his kind of younger pastor, look what he said in 1 Timothy 3.16. Paul, the mentor, writing to his mentee, he's writing to this young pastor, And so you expect Paul to be kind of taking the leadership role here. And yet look what he says about fully God, fully man. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery. Now he's talking about Jesus here, okay? Is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Seen by angels proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. So he's describing Jesus. And yet, what does that first sentence say? Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of this godliness. Now, the word that he uses for mystery there is a word that doesn't mean that it was impossible to figure out. That word, when it's used in the New Testament, means you really haven't had all the information yet to quite put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's kind of like if you were watching a, 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 a movie and it was a mystery, or you're reading a book, and you don't really get all the pieces of the puzzle until chapter 11. And when you get to chapter 11, you have enough to kind of solve the mystery. Paul is saying, he's using that word in one way to say, okay, until Christ actually came and lived in the flesh... This would have been really impossible to grasp. But now that he has been prophesied, now that he has come and he's lived and died, rose again, all these different things he talks about, vindicated by the Spirit. He said, now that all that has happened, he said, you can begin to at least grasp a little bit of this claim that he was fully God and fully man. Again, I don't know that that we can completely understand it. I don't know that we really want a God, as we said a couple weeks ago, that doesn't have a mysterious nature in the sense that we figure out everything that there is to know about God. His ways are always going to be over our ways. His knowledge is always going to be more knowledgeable than us. And yet he has not left us in the dark. The incarnation 
is truly one of those things that is going to be debated and scrutinized because on it, all the claims of Christianity rise and fall on these two facts, that Jesus was fully God and that he was fully man. You take away the humanity of Christ, we don't have a sacrifice. We don't have uh, the, the prophecy that he would know and he'd be this great high priest. You take away the deity of God and, and all of a sudden all the other promises that we have just start to fall by the wayside. Both of these are essential. The theological term to, uh, to the, uh, the incarnation in the Latin means incorporated into flesh. Question Has Jesus always existed? With enthusiasm and conviction. Has Jesus always existed? Yes. Yeah. Paul, I mean, John just said that. He said he's always been. Okay. Nothing has been created that he did not create. He, he is there at creation. He's always existed. But yet we, in the timeline of humanity, where do we usually place Jesus Christ? Christmas 2,000 years ago. What we would call Christmas 2,000 years ago. That that's kind of when he enters the stage. He was prophesied back here in Isaiah and all these other prophecies. Then he came into reality. Born of a virgin and he takes on a physical body at that time. Both of those concepts are true. And that's what Paul, that's what John is trying to say here. He wants us to know that Jesus participated fully in what it means to live a human life. In early theology, they believed that, but there were certain things they didn't believe that Jesus did. I think I've shared this with you before, that sometimes there were some theology theologians early, they did, not trying to be crude or anything, but they didn't believe that Jesus went to the bathroom. Because they could not see holy God having to go to the bathroom. They could understand that maybe he was hungry or this and the other, but there were just certain things that they said, you know, that's crossing the line. Folks, you can't have it that way. It's one of those things, if he's fully human, he truly was fully human, but without sin. And so even when we think, well, I don't know that Jesus ever did that, he did if he was fully human, except for sin, except for sin. So he's fully human in every way except for sin. And uh, Jesus was also fully 100% God. Look at what it says in Colossians 2.9. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What is deity? God. So a part of God lives in Jesus? What does it say? Fullness. 100% man, 100% God. Brian, you're a math teacher. Does that make sense to you at all? Yeah. (laughs) Could you explain it to somebody how you could be fully this and fully that at the same time? Surely this is miraculous. Certainly this is supernatural in one way. Uh, You know, that it is of God. Because it doesn't make sense in your logical mind as a mathematician. Do you believe this with all your heart? 
So how do we make that transition? How do we go from something that, Seth, you're a great thinker. How do we go from something that we have a concept of logic here and then it becomes illogical, not untruthful, but illogical? How do we do that? Especially if you're trying to sit down at lunch with somebody who's coming from a logical point of view. It's going to require faith. Faith is never going to be a part, is never going to be absent from this picture. But the declaration of the Word of God is that He is fully human, but we also see that He is fully, fully man. Look at the warning that John, the same John, gave in 2 John chapter 1, verse 7. How many of you have ever had to turn to 2 John before? It's not a chapter, it's not a part of the Bible that we go to a lot. We go to 1 John quite a bit. But 2 John, 3 John, we don't go there a lot. But listen to what he said. This is a warning that he's given to early believers in the time of the New Testament. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who did not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, such as the one deceiver and the... uh, Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So what is he saying? That they were teaching that Jesus came, that maybe he was deity, but that he wasn't what? Flesh. He wasn't human. And what does he, does he give kind of a warning against that? A kind of a soft warning? Or would you consider this kind of a strong warning? Such as one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Those are not usually friendly words. I just come up to you and said, you are the Antichrist. We're probably not going out for lunch afterwards. I mean, that's, that's pretty much an affront to what you think and who you are, your character. And so this is what John does. Because in the early days, there were people that said, okay, there was a camp over here that said, okay, we believe that Jesus Christ truly was deity. We think that he was God. Then there was another camp over here that said, okay, we believe that Jesus Christ was truly human, but he was just human and not deity. He was a really good human, in fact, the best human ever, but he wasn't truly God. This mixture of being, not a mixture, but this fullness of being fully God, fully man, together, this belief is really hard to understand. And and I don't start to to say that I, I can explain it. I believe with all my heart, and it is essential because he says, you know, remember when Jesus said in John fourteen six, and he's talking about, I am the way, the truth, and nobody can come to the Father except through me. In that conversation, when he's making this bold declaration that he is the only way to God, look what he says just a couple of verses later. John fourteen nine, That familiar verse is John fourteen six. Y'all just kind of quoted it with me. Look what he says. In this same conversation, Philip, one of the disciples, comes up and says, can you show us God? I don't know that he looked like that, but I think that he was kind of, okay, so you're the path to God. Can you show us God? Can we see God through you? And look what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, that is to Philip, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Now, I don't know about you, but I'm right there with Philip. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man can come to the Father except through me. I'm going, okay, which way to the Father? I'm going to ask what Philip asked. Then can you show us the Father then? And so it seems kind of like a, a, kind of a, kind of quick retort from Jesus. Philip, how long have you been with me? Do you not understand that when you see me, you see the Father? What do you think went through Philip's mind? Do what? Yeah. Maybe, or maybe one of those. Because remember, the Jewish people, I mean, they, didn't, they thought if you saw God, you died. We could not look and gaze upon His holiness. And so they'd been instructed with that for thousands of years. And now all of a sudden Jesus says, well, when you've seen the Father, or when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is just mind-blowing to somebody who had this Jewish background. It was a hard concept then. It's a hard concept now. But guys, let me share with you three things that are necessary for this belief to, to be true. I mean, because of this being true, three things that God is telling us. The first one is, when we understand the fullness of God and the fullness of man in Jesus Christ, deity, this God-man, First of all, it is the means by which we get to see God. Do you think people in the Old Testament wanted to see God? I mean, put it this way. Do you want to see God? How many times in your life do you think that the day would have been different if you could actually go and see God? It's what we call crisis of belief. Those days when things are, I mean, just overwhelming. And stacked up against you. And even though you've been taught maybe all your life to believe in God and just trust in Him, your trust was about that thin because you were overwhelmed with reality of life right before you. And how would it made a difference if God would have shown Himself to you on those days? I don't know about you, but I would like some days like that. And you know what I believe that God would tell us now? He said, well, you, you have seen me. Just as he told Philip, you have seen me. I loved you so much that I didn't just show myself in creation. I just didn't show myself in miraculous things that I did. I just didn't make myself aware by the Spirit. You, you were able to gaze upon me. This, these people that lived in this time, they were able to see God when they looked at Jesus Christ. It's the means by which we get to see him. John 14, 9, as we just saw, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Look what it says, says uh, Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15. First word there, he, it's talking about Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. He said, when you see Jesus, you see me. And there's other verses. I could give you verse after verse after verse that start to back that up. Being new grandparents, uh, it really kind of, uh, I mean, we hate that we live far away from our kids. And this past uh, 
Saturday, we were able to see all eight of us as a family, our little family huddle for the first time. Our son, uh, son-in-laws, both daughters, and now our two grandchildren. First time that the eight of us were together. It, it was glorious. It was wonderful. But I'm thankful for FaceTime. I really am because it's one of those things that uh, maybe on somewhat of a regular basis, every other day, we you know, are able to FaceTime with them. And it's not the same as holding and smelling that little baby, I promise you. But at least you get to see an image there instead of, well, you should have seen her today. She is as cute as she could be. Now, I would believe that my little Elliot is as cute as could be. I have no problem. But it's another thing to be able to look onto that screen and, and see all of her cuteness and all of its glory. Visual seeing does something to our heart. And by putting himself in flesh, that which was unseen before, God is spirit. By taking on flesh, he said, okay, you want to see God? You want to see me? You can see me. Do you see how amazing that is, guys? That that which was not seen now is seeable in Jesus Christ. That he loved us enough to do that. And it helps in that visual, just like FaceTime with me and the grandkids, that difference in the time between, I get to spend time with them, it helps in that, in that time in between. But there's a second thing, kind of connected. God being fully, or Jesus being fully God and, and yet fully man, it's the means by which we get to know God. In the classic book that I've told you about before, Knowing God by J.I. Packard, uh, I think it's either chapter 2 or chapter 3. He begins to talk about the difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Would you say that there is a difference of knowing about God and knowing God? Yeah. Is that a big difference or just kind of a slight difference? It's a huge difference. Braves are playing this afternoon. I hope that they win. Freddie Freeman is one of my favorite players. I can know some things about Freddie Freeman just by watching on TV. I don't even have to go to the game. And I can say, okay, this guy's an incredible athlete. He seems like a jovial kind of guy. And he likes to hug. You can pick those things up just by watching TV. Would I know, I can know those things about Freddie Freeman. Would I know more if I was one of his best friends and we actually vacationed together, we went to lunch together, uh, we fixed a car together and we had life experiences together. Would I know Freddie Freeman instead of just knowing about Freddie Freeman? Yeah. This is what God's talking about here. He said, when I put on flesh, when I clothe myself in flesh, it's so that you can just know about me, but now you can know me. You can know me. Because you can see how I reacted. How I had grace for sinners. How I love the love that I had for the brokenhearted. The hope that I gave to the hopeless. Look at Matthew 8, 2, and 3. I could have picked one of hundreds of scriptures here. Let me just pick one. Look at the interaction between this leper and Jesus. And what does it allow you to see about God? And what can you know about God? Look at the verses. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. 
We can hear that God is a healer. We can know that God, these different qualities. Do you think that that man, that day, that leper, understood the difference about knowing about God and knowing God? This is what Jesus has done. This this is amazing. That we can look back in the Gospels and we can see this life lived. We can see the experience and put a face on God. In the the essence. Now again, we have to be very careful. We were covering this just the other day in another chapter of that book that we don't want to be idolatrous. And say, okay, this is what God looks like. And more than likely, most of the pictures that you and I have in our minds about Jesus are really not, you know, we have a very Americanized Jesus and I can almost promise you that picture that you have in your mind, it ain't he. Okay? It just it's probably not. Okay? He was Middle Eastern. He just was I mean, if we look at Isaiah, you know, it says that he probably wasn't even that, you know, as far as to look upon, that it wasn't a man of distinction. And yet we get to see God. third thing that we begin to see there as we do all these things, as we look into uh, the character of Christ, by being fully God and fully man, it is the means and the only means by which you and I will one day live with God. There is no other way that you and I will one day exist with God without Jesus being fully God and fully man. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he's talking about us, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Now, what does that verse mean? What, what, is, what is the writer of Hebrews? We don't know who that author is. What is he trying to say? He's saying because Christ was fully man, took on flesh like you and I did, that when he died a physical death and rose again to a physical life, what did that do? Gave victory over sin, death, and the grave. If he was not man, it doesn't work that way. He took on flesh and he had a physical death. One of the early kind of uh, false teachings was that Jesus was just a man and that he didn't really die, that it was just really cold in the tomb. And so he kind of passed out and passed out pretty dramatically. They thought that he was dead and they put him there. And then he woke up because, you know, in the coolness of the tomb, he kind of revived. And so three days later he walks out. And, but he never really died. You take that away or you take that theory, guys, we lose everything. There is no hope, not only for you to live with God one day, there's no hope for us to see our loved ones one day. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. That he took away this power of death. What does the power of death have? It has the ability to separate us from holy God. It has the ability to bring fear into your life. He said when Jesus died a physical death, a human death, and rose again into a physical resurrection and a human resurrection, sin Death 
and the grave were conquered. And you and I, you and I are betting on that, guys. This was where we cast our hope, is that death for the believer was destroyed. Why? Because he was a God? Yeah, he has to be God, but that he really was fully human. Two more scriptures, and then we'll go this morning. Nothing could be documented more. I'm going to give you two scriptures. I could give you probably 20, 30 scriptures. The whole purpose of Jesus coming. Matthew one twenty one. Matthew said it this way. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Here's the purpose I come. He's born in this world of a virgin, takes on a physical life. Why? All for the purpose of salvation. We read in 1 Timothy 1.15, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. What are both of those scriptures pointing us to? That Jesus Christ, God, came, took on physical humanity for one purpose. And that is so that he could pay that price, that he could die for our sins, be what we call the propitiation, the full payment of our sins, so that when we put our faith and trust and belief in him, that you and I would have relationship with a holy God. And that as he had resurrection in a physical way, that you and I will have resurrection also. Without this, we have no hope past the grave. I could go on and on, and I know you don't want me to, in the sense of I realize that we've kind of spent our time. There are so many different ramifications if Jesus was only God or if he was only human. This requirement of being fully God and fully man, it is the means by which we know God, we see God, and that we get to be with God one day. All of our hope is on this. You can't take an element of this away. And still have that hope. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we love you. and Father, I'm not surprised that, um, that there would be those that would be skeptical, Father. And, and as they try to take away this foundational belief of, of Christianity, Father, that they would attack at the very core. That somehow they would say that Jesus was just a good man. And even if they would profess that he was the best man ever, Father, when they fall short of saying that he was deity, fully God and fully man, Father, it it breaks every hope that we have. Father, thank you that that we can go to places like Philippians chapter 2 and we can see that you clothed yourself in flesh, that you took on in such a humble way this path to the cross to a grave so that there could be resurrection from this grave so that we could have hope beyond our grave. Father, all of our hope is in you. All of our hope today, Father, even though we may not be able to grasp it in its fullness, Father, I pray that we would, as, as much as you, the Spirit would give us ability to understand this beautiful picture of Christ and that he is full deity and yet full humanity. Father, we thank you. We praise you. 
We couldn't have made a story like this up in a thousand years. And yet for thousands of years, you have prophesied it, you have brought it about, and now we live in the expectation that this same Jesus one day will come and take us home. We love you and we thank you for this promise. We thank you for this hope. And Father, we thank you for this just solid word that you've given us through your word today so that we can stand on this truth. All these things we ask in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.